to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host, Buddy Satello Esquire and Evan Ginsberg with our very special and usual guest here, Mike Leno. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us tonight. So a uh, little bit impromptu type stuff. Uh, sorry that we didn't we didn't record on a Saturday night like we usually do, but everybody is so much peppier right now, right? Because it's, it's only four in the afternoon or seven o'clock over in, on the East Coast. <laughs> I want to do a, a ten thousand word review of the uh, meaningless WWE pay per view that's currently on now, like every other podcast. That's what I, that's my goal for today. Absolutely, and analyze every single move and, and move, say, yeah, and predict every upcoming meaningless pay per view. That's my that's my dream for tonight's show. And we can talk about and we can talk about how much, how bad every match was from Bruno San Martino on out to uh, Hulk Hogan. There's been no good wrestling since the territories. I love those guys also. Yeah, I hate wrestling fandom. Do you, either of you guys have uh, WWE Network at all? No. Oh. No. <laughs> no. But Evan's got the, the good New Japan one still. I think yeah, you've had that for years. I have New Japan World and I have Ring of Honor on a club. And um, God, there's, there's plenty of wrestling. I mean, just on YouTube, you can watch Yeah, it's just on YouTube itself. You know, I haven't even caught up with the new NWA uh, program that they have yet. And I need to. They, I they like haven't filmed you know, uh, um, the rock star from Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan. Who Billy Corgan, yeah. We actually had him. Evan, remember, I brought him to the show. We had him yeah, on yeah, yeah. in 15 a couple of years ago. But he um, he's put it on hold amidst covid Although he's also partnered with that championship wrestling from Hollywood guy. Um, there's another guy who owes me money, buddy. I'll say that right in the air. Dave Marquez owes me some big money for his pilot episode. He wanted all these shots of mine of NWA champions, Briscoe, Funks, Harley, etc., and was going to pay me. And uh, they were in his, his intro to his thing. And the other hilarious thing, the funny thing about the indies, we all laugh when we hear and, and we tease him when we see him is calling a championship wrestling from Hollywood. The place where he has it is a good three hours away from Hollywood in a little hick town off the coast of the Highway 1 in California. So it's nowhere near, has nothing to do with Hollywood. Deception is everything. <laughs> Just by sheer coincidence, I was flipping the dials and I turned that on last night for a few minutes. And there's the Greek god Papadon, one of my buddies. This guy, this guy is every bit good enough to be in AEW or WWE right now. This guy's a veteran. He's been out there 20 years. Great, great performer, great gimmick. He does this arrogant. It's sort of like when Spiros Arion turned heel. Does like this arrogant Greek god thing. And uh, guy's tremendous, tremendous. And didn't he break in, Evan, with uh, you kind of discovered these guys and put them on the map low-key and... Uh, yeah, he was out of the doghouse. Yeah, Rambis, remember? You would talk them up and we'd have them on the show, The uh, those guys. And I think Papa Don you brought to the show, too, the old legend. Yeah, yeah the, guy, the guy's tremendous. I'm not saying it because I know him. I'm just saying the, the guy's a legitimately top-notch performer. He could be working in Japan. He could be working anywhere. But it, you reminded me with the Billy Corgan um, mention. When I interviewed him with you, I asked him one music question. One. And he goes, I'm not here to talk about music. <laughs> he 
remember that? It was a rock superstar too. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a music guy. The guy wouldn't ask, answer one question about music. But well, that was ironic. He went through that phase he explained on the Howard Stern show, which he did a lot longer than ours. He did three hours versus an hour 15 for us. But he, he only wanted to be called William Corgan. And none of his fan base would do it because he's always been Billy. So I think he gave up that snotty attitude. Sir William Corgan. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I do like what he's done with the NWA. I mean, you, you know, he right. really turned the idea of trying to do something that the fans really wanted instead of saying, you know, I have a vision like Vince McMahon and I'm going to shove it down everybody's throats. You know, you know, Hornswoggle is going to be WWE heavyweight champion, whether you like it or not type thing, or I'm going to push the great Kali because he's big and, and, and stiff, you know, but, but has, you know, a giant, 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 you know, the, he's in love with giants. But Billy Corgan or William Corgan, he really has like said, whatever you guys really like as fans, I'm going to give you more of it. And that's to me what the NWA was all about. I want to see a three, four to five star matches without any interruptions, without any stupid angles. I just want to see good wrestling at this point. You know, I really don't care about too many of the angles. I don't think I've cared about any angles since um, maybe uh, the two Rhodes brothers wrestled a year or two back. I mean, that's the last thing I really cared about. Uh, a couple of quick things. Uh, Corgan's show is terrific. It's like old studio, 70s, 80s, early 80s wrestling. And you should really watch Championship Wrestling from Hollywood because what they're doing, they're not showing their typical California stuff. They're actually showing fresh new matches. I think they're taping them in Chicago or something. So they're the Corgan matches. If people haven't caught them, but they're on broadcast TV because it is syndicated on Sinclair and other networks. So both those programs are good. I, I'm going to throw out the shows and you guys tell me and I'll shut up which of these you're watching. There's way too I'm not many. watching anything. I just answered your question. Wait, you're not watching Wednesday night's NXT? I, I don't NXT. watch anything. Yeah, I got to say, it's tough, you know, because I'm also doing a uh, sports podcast with the NBA back. You know, I'm, I'm trying to follow that, you know, on a more regular basis. That's kind of my beat is the NBA. And with football back and now baseball is coming back, it's going to be a tough call to, you know, not watch those things, to watch wrestling, which doesn't really give me the enjoyment that it does. Um, it was so one thing I kind of liked with the NWA power show which was that it was internet based so i didn't have to catch it on tv i just watched it on the internet when i had time and that it was an hour format so it could get everything done in an hour and that for me makes much better serialized television what other television show do we have that has three hours and then two days later another two hours that they have to fill i think we should i think we should have mike come on and do you know like five minute synopsis of all these shows because you know i i just can't sit and talk about uh-oh did we lose evan for a second they are having cold weather in new york and i think that he's just really thinking of something very powerful to say to us he's 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 saving up for a poignant 
But, but I, I think I know where he was going with that, which is that, um, you know, he doesn't have the time to sit down and invest that you can for these programs. I think I, I, I like the bravery of the NWA to have a one-hour show and to constrain themselves for an hour so that you have to put on at least one kind of match that you think people are going to watch in that hour and that you're going to, you know, be able to cut your promos and get in and out of those promos and you can't run ads during the actual matches themselves. You don't have time for that. So your match has to just be contained within commercial time. Hold on. We lost Evan. Let me try to add him back on. Yeah, well, you're doing that. Thunder Rosa came out of uh, not really APW, our area, but she did get trained in Northern California. I worked, I worked some cards with her. It's great seeing her. She's terrific. She's yeah, really she's good. amazing. Very she's athletic. We've been really lucky in the Bay Area to generate three of, uh, four of uh, what I think are some of the greatest women talents that were, have been around in the last 20 years. And Sarah Del Rey and cheerleader Melissa, although she's just exactly Bay Area um, product, uh, Davina Rose, Bailey, and uh, Thunder Rosa. Yeah. Well, there's you know. some other ones. Uh, Ruby Reyes is on the NWA from, and also the Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. And she's, even though she was trained actually at Santino Brothers, you know, we were going to have Bill, uh, Joey Chaos on, but she was trained there. She has worked. She worked two, three years of APW shows and, and other promotions, BTW and, and the, the one that's in Modesto, California, where Brian Cage is another champion who came out of Bay Area, Bay Area Wrestling. And I he, worked a number of cards with Brian Cage. I really, you know, I've heard some, some somewhat negative things about him, but I got to tell you, he was super nice when I worked with him, both in, uh, uh, I knew him, he was in Pro Wrestling Iron, and we also had him in California Championship Wrestling. A lot of people don't know that he was a good, good friend of of the guy who who was Mortis. Um, uh, uh, I'm I'm blanking on his name right Chris now. Cannon? Yeah, yes, and 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 he was very much saddened when uh, Chris committed suicide. But Chris left the Mortis costume over to Brian Cage. And he actually wrestled for CCW. I think the only time he ever wrestled for CCW, he wrestled in the Mortis gimmick. And he still has the Mortis gimmick that he could go to sometime, which I think if he did, would blow crowds away. I think that, the, you know, that would be a great gimmick for Brian Cage to bring back. Although, now that he's muscled up the way that he has, I don't know if he could fit in the costume anymore. Yeah, I'd probably shred it. Yeah. I mean, he, he is... I mean, he was... A big guy, but I mean, he ripped himself into like a whole new human being. When I, you know, these days now that now now that he's wrestling the way that he is now, he really like transformed. I mean, I hadn't seen that big of a transformation from old Dino Bravo to like then when he like left the WWF for. That a few was terrible years. because it was accompanied by horrible work rate on Dino's part. He used to fly around because I shot him all over the U.S., tried WF, and then he came into Los Angeles in December 73 for about a year, teaming with Victor Rivera, and they were opposing the original Hollywood Blondes and had all kinds of great matches, and he was a high flyer. But when you saw him in WWF, he was about three times his size. We know how you know he got that way. 
and um, just sort of had that plotting um, warlord barbarian type thing, which is kind of a shame, you know, when the emphasis isn't put on work rate. Wow, the, uh, I even checked Evan on Facebook, and he's off Facebook, so it must be a really serious outage going on. It's not just a Skype thing. I think he's he's out for the count. We can count him out. So it's just you and me for the for the duration of the uh, hour, if people can stand well, it. But. So you, unless you add him, which would be good. I, I'm sure you might want to hear this, but I wanted to... And I know uh, we've talked about maybe going through the history of APW, but I actually wanted to talk about very briefly, and let me see if I can synopsis this really quickly. When Roy Shire, who was the be-all, end-all of Bay Area, Northern California wrestling in the territory days, from 19, December 1960 to, and I was his ringside photographer. That was my secondary home base. Keep in mind, I was born in 1967. So, so that you're talking seven years before I was even born, you know. But he, he had spectacular cards. The very last battle royal was spectacular, but he knew he was going out and he knew that Vince Jr. and Vern Gagne were both going to come in and try to take it over. And it was actually, a lot of people don't know, it was the first territory. Well, LA was December of 82. Uh, Vince McMahon Jr. bought the Los Angeles wrestling office. You know, a lot of people don't even know. They think he went national in like December of 83. No, uh, a year plus before that, he took over LA and then uh, started coming and promoting in Northern California. So Roy Shire knows that Vern and Vince are coming in, AWA and WWF. And so what does he do? He goes to the LA Times and San Francisco Chronicle to expose the business say it's all a sham. He wanted to ruin it, you know, I guess maybe put himself over in the process, but ruin it for anybody coming in in his wake. So they started having the bigger shows, but there were a number of indies. This is where I'm leading up to with the APW stuff. Prior to APW, which only began as an actual school, 94, 95, they had their first show in late 96 with Roland Alexander, the, the founder. We had three Shire mid-card jobber type guys that were all trying to destroy each other with 100 plus crowds, nothing indie crowds, that being Woody Farmer, great guy Jerry Monty, and Alexis Smirnoff, who are all sadly passed away. But, you know, I would go and cover all of their shows equally, but I would tell them, you know, if you guys all joined up and put on, I, I was calling it a mega card, you really wouldn't, but... I was trying to get in their mind. You guys would draw much better. You would make bigger money instead of fighting each other and tearing down each other's posters, which we would later see with the next generation, that being APW, Roland Alexander, and BTW, Kirk White, who would fight each other sometimes for a couple of weeks do APW versus BTW, which wouldn't last long. Yeah, oh, I hated when, when I said APW and BTW would run a show the same night. And almost in the same territory, you know, he would be out of Newark. Oh, I think we got Evan back here. Um, Russ, um, buddy, I have I have bad news for you. What? We 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 have work to do after the show. It says my my Skype is outdated, and a okay. new and a new one has to be downloaded or whatever. I All right. Well, you're back. I appreciate that. I think it was more serious than that, though, because your Facebook, you you logged out of Facebook, too. No, the, the, the entire computer shut down, and it said it was um, 
collecting data. It went blue screen on me. Uh oh. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, and I have we'll... to teach tomorrow. I need your help. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll get to that. Well, but uh, uh, glad to have you back. Gibson Seven shirt. Have you have on? I'm the only liberal in America wearing a Clint Eastwood shirt right here. That... <laughs> well, that was before we knew he was talking to chairs. And I'll tell you, you guys were talking about non-wrestling stuff. That movie, that Netflix, I don't have Netflix, but I would be watching if I did. They, they put on uh, a, a picture sure to be up for best picture for two days free on Facebook. I was trying to tell you guys before 9 p.m. Pacific last time, last night, you could watch it. The Trial of the Chicago 7. And I kind of fast forwarded through some parts of it because I had to watch Saturday Night Live. And man, that picture is terrific. The uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, who plays Borat, etc. He plays uh, Jerry, or not Jerry Rubin, but Abby Hoffman. And Ev, you and I lived through that stuff, but he was a little bit younger. But you remember all that stuff with Bobby Seale. And I had no idea. The Judge was absolutely insane. What a terrific movie. Do you remember the, the uh, hippies or yippies were trying to uh, raise the Pentagon? They, they, they gathered outside the Pentagon. Oh, yeah, trying to levitate it. Yeah, trying to levitate the Pentagon. Now, now we just storm government buildings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now we're to levitate it. Yeah. There's, there's the difference between generations. Definitely. What did you guys think of that when it happened on the sixth of uh, was it January sixth? I never asked you guys what you thought, but I just thought this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, I think uh, America is seething. I think the extremists on both sides are out of their minds. And uh, when you have moderates talk to each other, whether Democrat or Republican, they want the same thing. <laughs> they want safe streets. <laughs> they want good jobs. They want a nice place to live. They want to be able to afford, you know, some kind of decent lifestyle. You've got lunatics on, on both sides, you know, um, Breaking things is never the answer. It's just not the answer. Whether whether the outrage is legitimate or not, whatever the case may be, you know, I had a doctor tell me I had cancer once and I didn't. I didn't go burn his office down. You know, my mother got carried out of a uh, got carried out of a nursing home in a body bag. I didn't go burn the place down. There's a lot of people who are angry about things. You know, but you can't just tear shit down. You know, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I, I thought it was just a pathetic attempt for attention by people that already have the attention of the media. And, you know, for Trump to, to you know, rattle, rattle the saber and say, you know, I love you guys and, you know, stand, stand down but stand by and, and then to whip everybody into a frenzy. And then what does he do? He runs into the, you know, a bunker and then, you know, leaves Washington never to be heard from again. And well, he you never, know, that's, remember, he told those followers, I'm going to be with you. He told them yep. that that morning, I'm yep. going to be with you guys. No, he never showed up. He didn't march with them as he said. He was a coward. He wasn't even there. He was. He was, let, he me, was let, let me just throw something in here because half our listeners are going to get pissed off hearing this. I'm saying it on both ends. The, the people on the left, have, they, they have no right to go into a mom and pop store and loot it and burn it down either. I don't care if the anger is... Well, I agree with that. Well, really. I mean, I mean this goes both ways. And, and I don't even think that's a political thing. It's people trying to use that as a cover 
for an excuse to rob somebody. Yeah, they infiltrate the other. Yeah, I think it's just thieves that, that do that. That's not part of the rioters. But the other thing is, we're all adults and we're not kids. So you hear on both sides, so and so, you know, prompted them to do this, motivated them to do this. I'm never going to go attack a government building. I'm never going to go loot a mom and pop store. I don't care if the guy's white, black, young, old, Republican, Democrat. I'm just not going to do it because I know right from wrong. I, I mean, you can't say, you know, Trump told me to do it. This guy told me to do it. Righteous indignation. No, you can't burn stuff down. It you know, doesn't it's like, work. It's like, it's like the, the, the right wingers that are getting mad that that one lady was shot. You know, while she was entering the, uh, you know, broken through a window and was climbing through a broken window. Well, the number one way not to get shot by a government official don't climb through the window. is don't, don't climb through the window. There's no go there. Don't go there in the first place. Just when did you think that climbing through a window was like an OK thing to do? And you could ever do that on the government, you know, on government grounds and that nobody would take any action against you. If there is a certain kind of cognitive dissonance where people are making themselves stupid on purpose that you know that that would never be allowed to do yet you think you can get away with it because lots of other people are doing it there, too. there have been studies psychological studies of mob mentality lynch mob mentality it, it's almost like it becomes like one amoeba like stupid entity but it's still it, you're still putting yourself in that position. If that woman, if she had sat home with a husband and watched Netflix like Mike did with his wife, she'd still be alive and breathing. This was a bad decision. This was a fatal decision. And, and a lot of those geniuses are going to get locked up. You know, you, they're not all going to get a pass on that. So, um, yeah, absolutely. But you, you, you put a very good point on it, which is that people are putting themselves in that situation. It's not like you're walking across the street and get hit by a car like you're, unfortunately, your, your friend Johnny Valiant. You know, there's something you can't avoid. That's something that you're just living your life normally and just fate takes you off this planet. But when you go and you, you know, roll the dice and you say, yeah, I'm going to help storm a building, you know, I'm going to going to be part of a riot here or like that kid, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse with his gun, you know, I mean, he goes to a, 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 a an active, you know, protest armed. I mean, if you go to someplace armed, what are you expecting going to happen? We can't all be Clint Eastwood. Do you know what I mean? And Dirty Harry. I, um. I have no sympathy for people that do insanely stupid and violent things. And, you know, you have every right. To, look, we have freedom of speech in this country. We have the right to peaceful protest. You know, people I don't agree with have the right to peaceful protest. They, they could have stood outside, you know, the Capitol and protested. I mean, it's... But but once you stop breaking doors and windows down, you're putting yourself in jeopardy and you're jeopardizing your livelihood, you're jeopardizing your family, and you're jeopardizing your freedom because some of those guys are going to get locked up. Yeah, at least there weren't any wrestlers involved. We didn't hear any wrestlers, MMAs, or boxers uh, storming the Capitol, which would have brought a black eye to wrestling. Yeah, we don't need that. You know, that's like the last Wrestling's thing. Wrestling's so squeaky clean. You don't want any of that. I'm not going to name names, but uh, Michael appreciate this with his medical background. <laughs> there, there were two noted wrestlers 
who were at signings who um, refused to wear masks and refused to um, take, yeah, and refused to take pictures with anybody that had a mask on. So, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty ignorant too. No maskerist should write him a letter. No maskerist never takes the mask off. He's our role model. Well, no, I, I, he's taken the mask off when I've driven him to the airport, but we get 15 minutes from the airport, the mask has to go on. He won't take it off in the shower around the boys either. See, that's a role model for us all. Well, it kind of... I pity the... The business guys, uh, you know, because I, I, you're the lawyer, you're the lawyer, um, buddy. What, what do you think? I mean, does that jeopardize the um, the guys who create the signings, if anything? Well, uh, I mean, they. I, I'm surprised that the venue itself would even let somebody inside their venue without making them wear a mask. But there is no actual mask mandate, you know. There's no law that says you actually have to wear a mask, and in doing so, not wearing it is a violation. Now, if someone wound up getting sick and they were able to trace it back to that event and to that particular person who then, you know, became COVID positive, that would be something that, you know, I we haven't we haven't seen a lot of those lawsuits because COVID is only a year old. Picture. I won't name the. Um... Uh, plaintiff, but Abby lost that case that he spread hepatitis. Hepatitis. Uh, yeah, because he knew. That, that guy, and that does, that can uh, reduce your lo- your lifespan and, and create other things. The, the problem with these guys is uh, business owners can, like a supermarket, they can refuse to allow entry. And if the, I don't know the details of this uh, signing thing, so maybe Evan can email me who, who this was and stuff like that, or who it allegedly was. You know, the best way to do that is uh, like Terry Funk, when he did his uh, millionth retirement in Amarillo in 97, that I went and got to stay at his house, the Double Cross Ranch, the famous place. So I'm one of the few that stayed overnight at the Double Cross Ranch and also Stu and Helen Hart's mansion with the dungeon. But Terry had his signing outdoors. It was terrific. It was outdoors. This was way before. Why not? Well, I guess not if you're in Texas this week, but... You know, other times, yeah, I, I agree. You it know, was in the summer of uh, uh, 97, and he had all the ECW guys, all of Atsushi Onita's violent FMW guys, and a bunch of legends, people you wouldn't may not have heard of, like Gordon Nelson, who was a silver medalist for Canada in amateur wrestling, but a great, great pro. And he ends up his life with Jake Roberts' dad, Grizzly Smith. The two of them set up the ring for WCW, but absolutely beloved legends and uh that was the only place where everybody in jake roberts family i got them to pose at once his father grizzly smith who's part of the kentuckians in the tri wf you might remember in the 50s and early 60s they were amazing yeah, I'm 103 years old i was watching wrestling in the 50s <laughs> yes but you know, i mean that's before my time but i know who they are magazines they were one of the great tag teams like brute bernard and uh, Skull Murphy and Don Curtis and Mark Lewin and the Bastine brothers and the Graham brothers, all those classic, incredible, the Royal, excuse me, the fabulous kangaroos, Al Costello, our good buddy, Evan and I knew him very well, lovely person, and Roy Heffernan. But uh, Jake Roberts, his dad, his brother, Sam Houston, 
and also their sister, Rock and Robin, who was uh, a ladies' world champion in a number of organizations like WWF back in the, I think, uh, 88, something like that. Yes. So, uh, well, but anyway, so maybe I will give, uh, Evan had a good suggestion, give a synopsis, uh, maybe starting the next time I'm on, but if there's nothing else that you watch, you really should maybe flip back and forth. Wednesday nights, it's insane. It's like the old Monday Night Wars. AEW and NXT, one's on TNT, one is on uh, USA Networks, on at the exact same time, uh, 8 Eastern time to 10. And they're both two-hour shows, but they're both incredible, incredible shows. You can blow off Raw, which is usually the worst show of the week, SmackDown, Boarfest, I do like Impact, particularly now they're getting Ev, they're getting all these uh, New Japan guys. They were at odds. New Japan walked away from the Access Channel deal because they didn't want to deal with Impact, formerly TNA. And now because of AEW, you're seeing all this influx of, they're all meshing. NWA, because they have the NWA, the two women's champions, Serena Deeb and the former champ, Thunder Rosa and some others from NWA and New Japan and Impact and AEW all together, man, when this COVID thing is over, they're going to have some mega shows like that Ring of Honor uh, New Japan show at Madison Square Garden a couple of years ago. I want to market this show as the only show that two out of three hosts don't watch wrestling. This is the, this is the anti-wrestling wrestling show. But do you think that the, the combination of all those companies – can like tackle the WWE. I was actually having this discussion uh, with my to tackle because um, actually, if if they take away the NXT show, which I've heard may end up going leaving network TV or Wednesdays on USA Network for what will be Peacock Plus. It's not going to be the free WWE Network people of course not. or the free Peacock. You're going to have to pay six bucks a month, but you're going to get all of what used to be the four pay. WWE content with commercials. You can pay 10 bucks a month and not get commercials, same as you did before, but it'll be a little bit less for WWE Network and you get all the NBC stuff, which is very good. My the way of the world, my though. My favorite you know. part of WWE TV is when you have a uh, AJ Styles match and you're starting to enjoy it and there's 17 commercials in the middle. You know, a good detergent commercial really helps match it really <laughs> well that's why you never see that with the nwa power show or you know the the nwa one hour format doesn't allow for that which is what i really i like being able to watch a match in its entirety in one commercial break or you know in one in one shot and not get the interruptions that the wwe the interruptions just kill the flow of all of it and you said that that in korea they don't even do that they'll just run a bunch of ads before and after yeah i was watching i was watching wrestling in korea on vacation because my wife mike mike will tell you this um Women take about four hours to get dressed and ready. So uh, I, I'd I'm be, married too, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I, it's just that we never go anywhere, so I don't experience that. Yeah. So so I'm sitting in the hotel, and it's like the size of a cell, and um, my wife's getting ready forever. So I'm watching WWE, and and it was interesting because the format's totally different. They'll show like eight commercials before the match and like eight commercials after the match. And they respect the match. You watch the match in its entirety. That's the way to do it. 
you know. And it used to be that way, you know. But it, it, the WWE is now just, you know, sort of instituted that thing. And even AEW does it, where they'll they'll run an ad during the actual match itself. Well, what they do though now, at least on the Wednesdays, the two shows on Wednesdays, when they go to commercial, they do something called picture in picture, and they'll have the match continue going. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, I can't watch that. They're like they're like two inches tall. Yeah, you 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 fixated on the detergent commercial. Sure, another Geico well, ad. Or here's something. what I was going to say. You always know with WWE programming. I, I hate calling it that. I still call it the WIF or WWF. But when somebody gets thrown outside the ring, you know the announcers are going to pitch the commercial, particularly the horrific train wreck that is Michael Cole, the worst hey. announcer ever, in my opinion, most of the time. Just well. Uh, and that's why, of all the things that I have, you know, we all have our wrestling pet peeves. But one of my sincerest, largest pet peeves is the three-way match. Ugh. I hate three-way matches. I hate them. I haven't ever watched one that I ever enjoyed. Wait a minute. That what about Evan, that first ECW pay-per-view? Terry Funk versus, jeez, uh, who was in that three-way with, with Funk that he won? That was a, a good one because they weren't done to death. Uh, I think it was uh, Stevie Richards and I think Sandman maybe. And Terry Funk could carry those two guys to uh, to something decent. But yeah, I, I agree. Now well, what they'll always do is one guy will get knocked out of the ring, usually on a real weak spot. And he'll like you know out there. set up camp out there, you know, yes. have a campfire yes. and, and right. a bedroll, and he'll be roasting weenies, waiting for the other two guys to have their fight. One guy will be close to pinning it and getting the match over with, and then he wakes up. The guy from outside, after twenty five minutes, wakes up and comes back in, and then you know breaks the pin, and then so on and so forth. Well, you didn't see a SmackDown last Friday, unless you guys were watching it. It was three way. And Big E gets tossed out, but he has an easy cherry set up and he put on a headset and he was doing some commentary on the match he was in. But he had his feet in one of those portable water massages and he's thrown outside the ring and he's letting the two other guys wrestle while he's out there on a, a couch. It was insane. That's Before what I'm talking about. That's the, cra the laziness of booking a three-way match. You know what I've noticed, um, speaking of three men... <laughs> I, I've been I've been attending wrestling since 1974. That's 47 years. And when I think back to the 70s, I I really can't remember too many like six man matches because they they were kind of like meaningless for the most part. And you know, if Andre was on one team, they always won. You know, it was like a given. And when I look back at wrestling from nearly a half century ago. I remember the great matches, and I remember the the huge disappointments. But the mediocre matches are, are like forgotten. They're Absolutely. Forgotten. Now, the, the WCW or or the NWA did have a six man title for them in the mid '80s. I remember the Road Warriors and Dusty yes. Rhodes had yes. the title, yes. and then they lost it to the yes. Russians. You know, uh, uh, Crusher Khrushchev, uh, Nikita Koloff, and Ivan Koloff. And then I don't remember what happened to the belts ever after that. They they dropped them. I, I, let me. I don't want to forget. You had asked me earlier 
about taking on the WWE, the, all of those groups combined. They're not, but if you take away, if, if this is what happens on Wednesday nights. If NXT goes off network, they say that AEW show is going to beat either Raw or SmackDown because it'll be by itself in terms of ratings. So that's kind of exciting, but they're not trying to do that. They're just, they keep saying they just are trying to do their own thing. Um, but and that's nonsense. It's, it's like saying, I, you know, the, the, you're in a Olympic sized pool and you've got a killer whale and a great white shark. And you're going to say the two of them are just going to hang out in both other ends of the pool and never like interact with each other. That's impossible. The WWE never treats any other company as anything else but predatorily. I mean, they, they absorbed the guys. Remember how they ruined ECW? They when the purchase was made, they brought in those guys. Whatever year it was, uh, what they, they really blew was WCW invasion. Right. That could have been the biggest thing ever. And they they were just like, let's bury these guys for the most part. We well, that's support. his thing. If he doesn't create these guys, if he doesn't create a Goldberg or uh, a lot of them sting they, by the wayside yes sting that was and they missed the mark they could have had sting uh, opposing uh, undertaker which was the thing rick people- flair even you know for the most part you know he still made fun of rick flair dusty Rhodes was a good, another good example of the, you know the, the yeah, guy that-, that was uh, pretty horrific for him dusty was like evan will remember we had Back in the territory days, and this is kind of fun, it brings us up to current. We had touring attractions. They never really stayed in the territory. And uh, they were, um, before Haystack Calhoun, it was uh, Happy Humphreys. And then we had the midgets and the women. They would just travel around. But then, with the success of Andre, just he literally went to every single territory. And he would, you know, pop in, win a battle royal or something, a big grudge match with Ernie Ladd, like in L.A., and then uh, Dusty did that. He was kind of, he was going into the AWA, teaming with Billy Graham as a baby face against Horst Hoffman and uh, 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 Jeff Ports as heels. And then he would go into Tri-WF and uh, uh, have the Madison Square Garden matches with Billy Graham. And then he'd, uh, you know, do his usual Florida NWA stuff. He was a touring attraction. And yeah, yeah, yeah. UWF, he went to also. Didn't we just have the anniversary of... Uh, uh, Bob Backlund getting the title from Superstar. Yeah, Billy February Graham. 20, 1978, a day that will live in infamy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well. Because you were there. And also, Evan was there when there was one of the, the greatest, at least for pairing people. They called it the Dream Team at the Garden. I know Evan was there in 1980, I guess it was. Andre, Dusty Rhodes, and Neil Moskris in a six-man against the Samoans, and I forget who the third guy. Maybe yeah, Albano. That's what I'm talking about. It becomes like a forgettable match, though. It was a great team, but the match itself—I couldn't tell you who that third guy was. I'm just thinking of the, how great having those three legends in one shot. So I'm looking at it differently as a photographer instead of match. Yeah, ball. yeah. But as a fan, you just go, Andre's on this side, so this side's going to win. So it wasn't exactly, you know, great wrestling. Um, Andre and Killer Khan was great. Andre and Kowalski. Andre and Ernie Ladd. You know, as he got older, obviously he slowed down. But um, those six-man matches were kind of forgettable, honestly. But tell me more about you being there for the um, uh, Bob Backlund Superstar Billy Graham match. I was a huge Billy Graham fan. 
and we were bracing ourselves for the inevitable that he was going to lose that night. So, How did you know he was going to lose? Um, there, there were primitive sheets out there. There were, you know, there was wrestling fandom, the so-called smart fans. It wasn't like the internet where everything was out there. But you heard. And you and it happened, and this is what trickled to them. Napolitano told all of us. He told me. He told Arisi. He told Arado. And you told everybody else. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, I didn't. But I think George ended up telling some people, and then all the word got around that yeah. that was going to happen. And Billy Graham was not happy about it, as, as you know. And then I'll shut up and let you guys discuss what could have happened. He suggested to McMahon, turn me face. He had. He was the only one that was smart enough to have gimmicks. And even as a heel, the Superstar Graham t-shirts were selling. So he thought that would be a fantastic transition to face. But Vince Sr. didn't go for it. Billy got very depressed. What, what do you think would happen if Graham had turned face at that period of time at his most peak popularity? Billy Graham was teaming with Ivan Koloff when he wasn't defending the belt. And um, he... Um, they would actually start shoving each other, like mid-match, and like fake, like the team was going to split up. And and every fan in the building was cheering for Graham because back then, you know, Ivan was like the prototypical, you know, Cold War heel. And, um, yeah, he could have easily turned face. The fans liked him anyway. He was one of the early heels that fans liked, you know, even before Piper and, you know, Randy Savage later. But back then, most of the heels were really hated, and the fans liked Billy Graham, you know, because he was just cool. The guy was cool, and he was funny, and, you know, the uh, the promos, obviously. So, um, yeah, we're sitting there, and, you know, Backlund puts him in the atomic knee drop. He goes, oh, no, <laughs> you know, pins him. And, you know, most of the plays popped. You know, most of the fans were still, uh, you know, for the good guys. But, um, you know, the... It, it was it was a shame. Vince Vince McMahon's dad, you know, he he promised Backlund the belt, and he was a man of his word, and that was that was that. But they easily could have got another year out of a heel Graham, what turned them face. You know, how are those house shows doing? Here, Graham, I can tell you all the guys he defended against. I think there was a rematch with Bruno after the Baltimore. Bruno dropping it to Graham. Bruno, Putsky, Maivia, Moskowitz. Dusty. Dusty. And that was it. Backlund. Well, Did it he was... ever fight Pedro Morales? No. Well, no. not not not, for the not, not in the main event uh, or title situation. No, it's because he only had the title for a short period of time. His defense. Well, what was interesting is in the other arenas, he wrestled a lot of different guys. You know, like at Nassau Coliseum, which was like the B circuit, they had uh, Graham and Pat Barrett, Graham and Zabisco, Graham and Gurria. Graham and Gurria was a hell of a match. Um, so they put B Graham and Billy Whitewolf, Graham and Strongbow, Graham and Calhoun. So they were they were just trying different main events, just not to do the same thing over and over again. With uh, here's here's a question I have for both of you guys: if they had if if it turned Graham into a face. Do you think that there would have been room for Hulk Hogan? I mean, because they had almost the same shtick when you really zoom out and sort of look at what Hulk Hogan was talking about, you know, and and his whole thing. A lot of people feel Hulk Hogan pretty much, you know, took 
superstar Billy Graham's character maybe the face. Admitted, no, uh, Hogan admitted that whole, yeah, that he had done all that. But Graham, also. Uh, Graham was burned out. You remember he uh, there was monsoon even on TV said I regret to tell you we just learned that superstar Graham passed away in Japan or he's called it the Orient. Well, that wasn't even true, but Billy his career was kind of tainted from that point on and then he came back with the shape monsoon wrote an old bit in a newspaper that Billy Graham died and he didn't. He didn't. Can you imagine? Yeah, I can't imagine since that happens on the internet all the time now. Yeah. You know, since that's a regular occurrence on the internet, you know, why couldn't it happen back then, too? But, you know, I... But, you know, uh, uh, McMahon initially was not, when he went national, it was going to be Jimmy Snuka as his guy, not Hogan. And then Snuka got in all the sad mess with the Nancy Argentino thing, and he was out. And you remember, he just seconded uh, Hogan and um, Mr. T, and that was it. Snooker was gone for a couple of years after uh, after that because I guess he'd already been sort of, I don't know what they were doing. They'd either promised him that last payday or um, uh, he'd already gotten his pink slip or, or something, but he had to go, which was, it would have been an unusual thing going national with Snooker, who, man, in a couple of territories from mid-Atlantic to San Francisco, and that's how he got there, was Pat Patterson saw what he was doing after he left Roy Shire, and uh, Snuka was on top as the U.S. champion in San Francisco for about a year and a half feuding with Morocco. And then, man, those guys were just burning the place down, selling out. And, you know, the, and another guy Pat referred in was Morocco. So he gave one last payday to his longtime friend, Ray Stevens from San Francisco. Maivia, that's how he got in. Snuka, Morocco, uh, et cetera, all from uh, Pat's time working with them. And, and Rocky Johnson, of course, too, from San Francisco. Yeah. What do you guys think about Have you guys heard anything about the, 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 the young rock? The, the, I haven't uh, seen it yet. I watched it. It's good, but it's confusing because... And other actual, you know, big time TV critics have said it is a little bit too confusing. They go from present day Rock, who is the narrator, to Rock like as an eight or nine year old, to Rock as like a young teen and then a young adult. So it's four time dimensions. In it's each. like this is us. Yeah, it's too confusing. They're bopping back and forth and back and forth. But they do have, it's funny to see the people they cast as Andre. Rocky Johnson, Autumn Ivia, Rock's mom, Iron Sheik, which Evan will find hilarious, Afan Sika. Now they're going to introduce a Randy Savage and Vince McMahon the guys playing them. So I can't wait to see next Tuesday the McMahon Jr. character. That should be a, a hoot. Yeah, I have to check it out. I have Peacock. I, uh, I'm, I'm assuming they, they play yeah, it. Watch the rerun. You can always re-catch it on Peacock. Do you have the free Peacock or the pay Peacock? Um, I got the paid one. Yeah, so you don't have... Well, they have three versions. One that's cheap, that has commercials, some commercials, and the most expensive, nine ninety nine, no commercials with Peacock. Yeah. Of course, that's the way of the world. You pay 200 bucks for cable every month, and then you still have to pay you know, another 100 bucks. To watch what you want without commercials. Well, what streaming services do you have? What me? Yeah, if any. Uh, usually, I 
I, I have my sources on the internet. Let's just put it that way so I don't get in any trouble. Let me throw this out there for the uh, poor folk. <laughs> um, my library system is remarkable. You could, you could basically, you know, with your library card, absolutely free, go on any major city's library and um, take out 10 DVDs or Blu-rays at a time cherry pick, you know, in the search engine, your favorite director, your favorite actor, your favorite genre. I endlessly watch great films and it, and it comes from the library. So, um, you know, if you're on a budget, you really don't have to spend a fortune on cable. As an adult ed teacher, I would talk to students and they would tell me I spend $250 a month on cable. I said, do you realize that's $3,000 a year? Do you realize? Worth every cent. Evan, worth I mean, every cent. When you watch just, that raw, it's worth every cent. Right? I'm just saying, if people, if, if money's tight, and this is a tough time with the COVID, you don't want to spend three thousand a year on cable. It's a little ridiculous. Well, and now I hear that VCRs are coming back. Oh, that people are going crazy over getting vintage VCRs and watching stuff on tape again. I sent I sent Mike um, all my uh, Betamax tapes uh, years ago. Including, including my precious '70s porno chic. So uh, yeah, Mike, Mike benefited from my love. That stuff was never converted to DVD, so you know there's a value right there to, to keeping your old Betamax. And in my upcoming book, in my upcoming book, and Michael validate that this is true. I have a piece on. I'm sit, I'm sitting at a convention with uh, Johnny Valiant, and he's signing. I'm there as his agent. Who sits next to me? The Platinum Princess Seika, and, and the next day, who sits next to me? Arbola. Do you guys know who that was? No, Arbola. Richard Bola. Do you know who that was? Not that, the guy. Sorry. The musician. That, one, that was the lucky coach from Debbie Does Dallas. <laughs> so, so, Again, a little bit past my time, but yeah, you so know. He, he's sitting there hawking Cannibal Holocaust. Which was a horror. I have film. seen that movie. Yeah. I've seen that movie, and they it's actually awful. killed real animals. Mike would have been, Mike would have been appalled. They actually kill live animals. No, I can't watch that. So, so he's no, it's considered one of the most worst movies of all time. Actually, yeah. what is so it? He, an animal snuff film? An animal snuff? No, they're they're out they're out in the middle of nowhere, and you know the snakes are coming at them and they're killing them. It's crazy. So. So this guy's getting 35 bucks a pop selling that, and, and he's signing it. And he's telling me his life story. He's from Brooklyn like me, as you can tell from my accent. And he was a legit actor, and like things went south, and he wasn't getting work. And he, he's like, he's like I, landed, I landed in porn. They gave me 500 bucks a day, you know, and they paid me to be with these beautiful women. So, you know, the guy, the guy was actually an interesting guy, and but... He looked like he looked like a homeless guy at that point. He looked shot. He looked shot. So, so one day there's Arbola, one day there's Seika, both days there's Johnny Valiant. This is all in the book. I've been surrounded by interesting people, interesting experiences. And while we have a few minutes and we're getting close to the end of the show, Evan, why don't you tell the audience about the uh, your, your work on your book and and how close you are to finishing it? I have. Uh, 
to maintain my sanity, I've written a book with a hundred stories in it, a hundred. It's called Wrestling Rings, Blackboards, and Movie Sets. I chronicle how we made the movie The Wrestler. I talk about Necro Butcher. Necro Butcher, um, he's about two hours late for his meeting with Aronofsky. Aronofsky's getting antsy. Aronofsky's the nicest guy in the world. He's sitting there for two hours. So um, I have his information on a uh, card. I call up Necro Butcher's mom answers. His mom. Now she's worried. Where's my boy? <laughs> this guy mutilated. Where's the net? Yeah, he could be in some trouble somewhere. Yeah. So, no, she's just worried, you know, because he had a long drive. So now, now Aronofsky's like getting antsy to leave. Necro Butcher's mom is calling me. Where's my boy? So it was, it was just wild. So finally, Aronofsky leaves because the guy's like two hours late. So then, of course, two minutes later, Necro Butcher shows up. He's very apologetic. I hit horrendous traffic. So now I'm trying to track down Aronofsky. I'm like, he's here. He's here. So Aronofsky comes back, and the two guys just click. You know, Aronofsky likes his movies dark. Necro Butcher likes to stab himself in the head. It worked. It worked, you know. What happened to him? We lost touch with him. You brought him on the show years ago but what happened to Necro? I, I heard he's having some kind of health problems nicest guy in the world i, I would sit yeah. with him on the set and just you know bullshit and nicest guy and another piece in the book is on uh, larry sweeney I, you know i got to know him real well when we were doing the wrestler right. poor guy killed himself i mean not this guy was a school teacher he was sharp as could be you know, he wrestled on the weekends and managed on the weekends, and he made a living as a as a school teacher. And uh, he was bipolar, Larry Sweeney. That's another piece in there. I mean, it's basically I'm telling my life story from childhood through COVID. Um, I did a piece on Butch Reed. I did a piece piece on Butch Reed. I'm interviewing the guy live in, for for a documentary and. Um, He's he's uncomfortable, you know. He he's really like He had a very bad arthritis, very bad, you know. So I'm interviewing him, and he's struggling to get off his coat. Struggling, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. That's how bad the arthritis was. So, you know, he was five years older than me. He 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 he, he just looked every day of it and. It's just the sacrifices these guys make. Michael tell you, Holly Race was in a wheelchair at the end. I've seen Iron Sheik, Albano in wheelchairs. Uh, you know, it, it's it's heartbreaking to see some of these guys, the sacrifices they made. So the, the point of the piece was, to this day, you know, two or three years after the fact, I don't remember a thing I said in that interview I, all I remember is the guy couldn't take off his jacket. And it bothered me. It bothered me. You know, so this book, um, it's not about bookers and minutia and endless results. And it, it's really about these experiences I've had, the good, the bad, the ugly. Speaking, speaking of Jimmy Snooker, Johnny Valiant's wrestling Jimmy Snooker out in New Jersey on an indie. 
And, you know, they're, they're not kids. They're both in their 50s at that point, but they're putting on a good match. Johnny pulls out his New York City Metro card and swipes Jimmy's eyes. And Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy sold it like he, he, like, like, like he was being murdered, okay? So, so Jimmy, Jimmy had said to Johnny before the match, uh, Jimmy Snooker, he said, uh, you know, you're one of the brothers. You're one of the brothers. You know, you're not going to take the splash. Let the kid take the splash, the uh, indie manager. So, um, so Jimmy splashes this indie manager. The place went nuts. It was a really good match. And, um, you know, so here's the punchline. I'm sure you both experienced this. We go to get paid. Every seat in the place was full. Every seat in the place was full. And the promoter starts going, well, you know, the house was a little light tonight. And I'm like, you know, it's like the end of a long day. They're not kids. You know, so I go, listen, man, just just give us the money you promised us. You know, I just so like I'm like the enforcer. I'm a school teacher. OK, I'm like, give us the money you promised us, you know, and. Uh, Finally, he did, and we never worked for the guy again. I guess if you stand your ground, you don't get hired again. But um, who would want to work for someone like that anyway? Yeah, so uh, you just leave with a bad taste in your mouth, even if you got the, you know, we got the money. But still, um, so the book is is kind of showing, but it's not just wrestling. You know, it's called. Um, Wrestling rings, blackboards, and movie sets. It's about, you know, the movie business, crazy teaching experiences. I basically told my life story and uh, in a hundred anecdotes, vignettes. And what you guys realize is um, you bury a lot of good people along the way. You bury a lot of good people. And, um, you know, but... That's basically it. But again, it's not all grim. A lot of it's I've, very- I've had the privilege of reading some of your experts, excerpts from your book that you've sent to me. And to every last one of them is powerful and very real. And so, yeah, it's not all positive, but everything is real. And, oh, it, it's uh, all real, every bit of it. It's, I've always found it so ironic that that's one of the things I've always found fascinating about wrestling is that some of the most real people I've met are the people involved in a business that's all about kayfabe and 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 grease paint and fireworks and pulling punches? So yeah, and there's a, there's about eighty pictures in there, and the bulk of them are from Mike Leno and Dave Brzezinski. I mean, great pictures. So you know, and and, and again, it's not all wrestling. I mean, I'm sure most of the viewers here are wrestling fans, but um, if if you're looking for um, you know, an obsessive look at the Ottawa territory of 1926. This is not the book. Keep moving. This, this, this is about this is about you know real people that we loved. And um, I tell the story about Johnny Valiant, man. I'm sitting with my wife watching a movie, and after the movie ends, I go online, and there's six instant messages. Is it true about Johnny? Is it true about Johnny? Guy's walking the same street, crossing the same street he crossed a thousand times in his own hometown. It, it, it's, uh, it's rainy. It's foggy. You know, 
guy runs him down and it wasn't the guy's fault and you know you just couldn't see out there mm-hmm. and uh you know if you brush your teeth or combed your hair a minute more or a minute less you're not standing there you know um so um all about that you know why it's very powerful very powerful we're almost against uh the uh, time limit here uh mike do you have anything you uh have in the works or you want to promote or or gab about to our audience i've got to get my ass in gear and get uh, evan a potential cover shot yeah we need a good action shot for the cover me looking i'm trying to find bruno spiris arion which i think yeah that would be perfect you pinning a covid molecule (laughs) <laughs> for those who don't know, for those who don't know, Arion turned on Bruno. They went three months at the Garden. Every Greek taxi driver in New York was at that show. I know this because my dad was a taxi driver. He said every Greek taxi driver in New York. It was you, it was Arion and Bruno. It, it's so long ago, people don't even think about it. They remember Zabisco and Bruno, Hanson and Bruno. But Arion and Bruno was big, big. Well, great stuff. It was another great show, guys. I really appreciate you guys, you know, making, flexing your schedule out for Sunday instead of Saturday. But it was really fun having you. And uh, we'll have some other great guests coming up, uh, filling up the month. We've got some great guys that you guys have have looked at booking. So we're looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, we'll have everybody on next week. So uh, uh, until then, folks, good night, everybody. All right. Domenico Gozaimashite. There you go.